What's going on, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and not only is he my co-host, he's also my full-time therapist after that loss at the weekend. It's Lewis. It was kind of hard not to work that that in somehow. I'm sorry, Bill. It pains me to see you so stressed. But like Billy said, we have a nice little host of topics for you today, starting with the Bundesliga and undisciplined Gladbach players featuring Rami Benzabaini and Markus Thuram. We'll have a little look at those two, both in very different situations. Then we will also have a look at the ticketing crisis for the Europa League. Yes, I know, not strictly Bundesliga or Premier League, but it affects two Bundesliga teams, namely SC Freiburg and Eintracht Frankfurt. The tickets for the fans in their respective matches in Italy, whether it be Napoli or Juve, it's a bit of a crisis. And we will round off the Bundesliga with the closest title race in years and the closest one by the way in the top five leagues just thought we will take that little fact and give it to you right at the start then we will swing over to the premier league where it is all about as billy said the thrashing of manchester united by liverpool seven goals it's basically all anyone's talking about and we'll have a look at the next manager in the premier league to be sacked Will it be Potter? Will it be Conte or someone else? All that and more right after this. Well, you said it in the intro. Undisciplined players, but specifically at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Just quickly talk us through what happened with Rami Benzabaini. Well, Benzabaini basically was a case it was nil-nil between Freiburg and Gladbach. I mean, you know, the game basically didn't really have many highlights other than this. But, you know, Benzabaini, he's a tad bit frustrated, but, you know, he doesn't kick the ball away, you know, full pelt like, you know, you would expect to get a yellow card. But he gets booked for basically passing the ball away into the barriers. That booking for me, over the top, because it wasn't, as I said, a fully-fledged kick away. Um, he then, you know, kind of loses it and sarcastically applauds the referee, for which he immediately gets a second booking. You can argue if that's also a booking, but, you know, you can't really complain if you start behaving like that towards a referee and subsequently gets sent off. But it's what he does afterwards. And, you know, he gets sent off. And then when he leaves, he basically kicks. And in this case, it's a full-blown kick. Um, the barriers surrounding uh, the camera right at right on the touchline at midfield. And then he calls the ref a son of a bitch when he leaves the pitch. Now, apart from that beautiful rhyme, so many different things happening. And you just have to ask yourself, you know, as a player, there are definitely refereeing decisions that I've seen that would warrant, you know, a reaction. But I don't know. In my eyes, it's a bit over the top from Benzabaini to react that way, given it was a questionable decision. But still, I've seen worse decisions where 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 players have kept their cool more. No? Yeah, there are worse decisions out there where players have just accepted it's the referee's decision. But 
I kind of get it. I kind of understand, you know, the first one was uh, just not a booking. You know, you see players kick the ball away all the time and they don't get booked. You see players uh, say things to the ref and tell the ref to, you know, do this and do that and they don't get booked. But on the other hand, on the other hand, you can't, you know, it's the it's the whole dissent thing, isn't it? Which we don't yeah. see enforced as much, because if we did, we'd have situations like this where you know players are getting booked left, right, and centre for kicking the ball away in frustration because emotions are going to run high. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, the game in my eyes didn't really warrant such high running emotions, if we're being honest. But you know the 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 consequences for Benzabaini are you know an additional match banned um so it brings his total up to two matches and a fifteen thousand euro fine slapped on top you think it's enough what fifteen thousand euros for a man no, just who... in general the the you know the match the, the match ban on top of everything i mean warranted yes or no the the additional two match ban yeah, okay. It's going to hurt Gladbach more than it's going to hurt Ben Sabaini. At the end of the day, yeah. I think €15,000, it's one of those ones. You could sit here and say, yeah, but he earns X amount more than that per week. It's not going to hurt him at all, but it's still a fair chunk of money. Do you know what I mean? If if me yeah. or you were fined €15,000... That would end us, but... You know, you know it, would, it would set you back... <laughs> So I think if there was a oh well you know oh uh, he's called he's told the ref uh, to fuck off and called him a son of a bitch fine him one hundred and fifty thousand euros it's just not going to happen. I mean, fair enough. The thing is, if if you wanted to, and you did jack it up, do you think that it would deter players that much more? Yeah, I think it's that thing of hitting them where it hurts because it, at the end of the day, if they if they can't play because they're suspended unless they're on a pay-to-play contract like Andy Carroll was at Newcastle before he left, they they still get paid, regardless of whether they play at the end of the week. Yeah. Whereas, allow them to play still, but maybe take a week's wages away, or I mean, you probably couldn't enforce as much as a week's wages, but make it more... I was about more... to say, a month's, a month's wages would be something that I think us normal mortals would... would like to see but yeah okay try try and explain to a player that he's getting docked a month's worth of pay it would deter them but you know i think it's a bit too much over too much to ask for well should we go from defense to attack and a man seemingly on his way out a gladback much like rami bensabaini so potentially both not there next season but marcus turam also with an undisciplined display, why don't you, for those that haven't seen it, do you want to take us through that one, mate? Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's one of those classic ones where the Freiburg defender, he does definitely, like, you know, put his leg out to, to make the tackle. But he doesn't make contact with Turam as he's running past. Turam sees that he makes that step, though, and lifts off. It's as clear a dive as you you could possibly ask for. 
on. And the referee does first give a penalty after which he, you know, has a look at VAR, which, you know, one of the one of the few times I feel like VAR has done some good. And then he looks at it and says, nah, not a penalty. My question after that is, shouldn't you at least book him then for a dive? Yeah. Uh, which, he didn't, which he didn't get, by the way. He didn't get a single card for that. Well, that's the thing. Letter of the law would say that's a booking. That's, you know, it's simulation. You're going to get booked for it. Again, we don't see it as often as we probably should do. Sometimes it's given, sometimes it's not. It's like those things where um, a player gets fouled in inverted commas in the box. The referee says, no, that's not a penalty but the player also didn't get the ball. That has to be a dive then, ref. Yeah. Again. It's a grey area, isn't it? I it's mean, something that the letter of the law says you should enforce, but like dissent, like kicking the ball away, if you enforced it every single time, you know, most players would be on yellow cards. I, I always remember this. It was back in 2013. Uh, United away at Chelsea. Fernando Torres had already been booked for something. He ran through. He skipped past Johnny Evans. Evans got nowhere near the ball. Torres didn't have to go down. Went down trying to get Johnny Evans sent off. And this is before VAR. Referee said, no. Second yellow card and a red. And it caused such controversy at the at the time. Like, oh, he was sent off for diving. Well, he wasn't. He was given a second yellow card for diving. And that's... You hear it all the time as well, don't you? just moving slowly away from this before we come back to what some ex-pros and pundits have said about it. You hear it all the time. Oh, well, if he wasn't booked, that's probably a yellow card. It should be a yellow card anyway, then. Exactly. Like it's for me, it's, it's the fact that I feel like referees are too timid to give yellow cards right away for simulation. I think maybe simulation should be, should be, you know, or having consequences that are a little bit more hefty because I feel like a yellow card for some players, they're like, well, I don't usually get booked anyway, especially strikers who are more prone to do it just because of the position they play. Strikers usually don't get yellows for massive challenges and whatnot. So I don't know. For me, I feel like the, the consequences should be more severe and uh, Didi Hamann, ex-Bayern uh, and Liverpool pro, has said he would like to see a red card for simulation. I don't know. Yes, more severe consequences, but I wasn't thinking you get sent off for simulation. Like, I, I don't know how you could justify that. On the one hand, yeah, it'd be like asking for a month's worth of wages of from a player when they get, you know, when they start mouthing off to the ref and whatnot. It'd be a great deterrent, but how are you ever going to sell that to the Players Association, whatnot? I don't know. Uh, they're just never going to agree to it. And I think for someone who played at such a high level, Didi Haman has some of the worst opinions in football. Oh, Didi Haman has already regularly been called to, you know, just be cancelled by Sky Germany for, for some of the things he says. I mean, I personally think he just says outlandish shit to, you know make for for better for better tv viewers i think but so much like much like well-known peddlers of shite talk sport it's just there for clicks and therefore 
for interaction. But there was a, another pundit on Sky who had a different opinion, which I think is, again, it's probably difficult to enforce, but it would be better. Question yeah, mark? I, yeah, yeah. I, I know which one you're talking about. Um, Tabia Kemme, who is a former women's um, national team player for Germany. And she said, instead of fining them, you make them do community service. I mean, the sentiment is great, but how are you going to enforce that? You're going to exactly. tell a player to basically miss training sessions because he has to do community service. I mean, yeah, it's a great, that would also be a great deterrent because also the, the manager would be pissed off at his player because he's not going to go, I don't know, scrape up garbage from, from, from the highway or whatnot. But still, how are you going to enforce that is a question. I, th I think community service probably wouldn't work but increase the fines, not astronomically, maybe by like 10,000 euros more or something, depending on the offense, obviously. But then don't give it to the DF Bay or, or whoever it would go to. Use it for community projects. Yeah. Do things like youth centers or um, uh shelters for for the home for the homeless and things like that i think if it yeah, was yeah. put back into a community i think it's probably that then it's going to be okay look i don't i can't kick off about paying this money exactly because if i kick off it makes it look like i hate homeless people <laughs> no i think i think that'd be a great idea in all honesty but for me i still think that things like simulation should be should be fine for you know with at least you know 50 grand fine something like that that would be that that in my eyes would be would be fair because you know simulation there's there's things like tactically you know time wasting which is which is you know just a tactical part of the game but simulation is just over the top and it's just pure cheating and i feel like if if you get fined you know for for doping and whatnot simulation should be a part of that as well the only thing i will say and it's just because i love to play devil's advocate no go on then i'm not i'm not condoning simulation but what i will say is if the defender makes up your mind for you puts a leg there uh grabs your arm tugs your shirt lunges i think 90 percent of professionals are going to take that opportunity to win the penalty. Yeah, okay, but some there's... of the penalties we see are so soft. Uh, I'll use the example from last week. Uh, sorry to bring it back to United again, but Barcelona's penalty, Old Trafford. Yeah. Okay, uh, Fernandez, he has hold of Balde, but he manages to turn and he manages to get away and then go down. Referee then gives the penalty. Yeah, okay, but okay, that but that for me is something different. This the Turan thing was he could he very clearly wasn't touched and then still goes down. That for me, there's a difference between that and basically taking or basically accepting a present, so to speak, from the defender. No, I, I do get that. I do get that. And much like the one that was given against Bayern against Gladbach. Yeah, you know the the one on one with Upa Makano and clipped and a, and a red card. It's Just one of those ones, you know. 
if the defender's going to give you the option to cut across and have your ankles clipped, you're going to take it. You know, yeah, whether it's he... strictly sporting or or not. But yeah. ones like Turam's one at the weekend, yeah. There's there's just no, there's just no excuse. Much like there is no excuse for the ticketing disaster in the Europa League that is affecting mainly, I say mainly very, very loosely because it's just affecting only German fans. But it's affecting the Freiburg and the Frankfurt fans. So my my first reaction to this is how? Which is then immediately replaced by, okay, well, they're clearly doing it because they're scared. What's your take on the ticketing fiasco and take us through you know a couple of the key points if you will well the main reason that this is uh the frankfurt napoli second leg tie the the main reason that they've banned the frankfurt fans from attending is what uefa use violent clashes previously frankfurt have said it was a decision made by italy's interior minister and look again, they've already been fined this season by UEFA because of the trouble that happened at the match against Marseille. And you look at the season that they won the Europa League, fans were buying home tickets. You know, you saw it and they'd score, the away end would go mental, and then half the home end would go mental as well. I think it's obviously very passionate people. But there comes a point where the safety of other people has to be put first. I don't think banning everyone or cancelling flights or just not allowing them in the country is the way to go. I think it has to be properly governed. You know, everyone else goes to away games in Europe and stays in the away end. It's on the home team to make sure their home fans don't sell their home tickets for extortionate prices. That was my thing as well, because, you know, to blame basically away fans for doing everything they possibly can to get their hands on a ticket and then supporting their team in the stadium, that's not their fault for then turning your home ground into an away ground for your own team, so to speak, much like it happened at Barca. That's just the of the fans of that home team in my opinion like sorry obviously their fans are more passionate than your fans i mean it kind of just goes to show that if your fans are willing to you know give up a ticket or just you know they're not obviously doing everything in their power to get a ticket maybe you should you know be asking questions of your own fan base i don't know but i think to sanction them just on that fact is absolutely ridiculous the clashes between fans, you know, where you've actually had full-blown brawls, that's a different story. And, you know, that that's a that that's a legitimate security issue, and I can I can understand why. But to use that basically as a reason to then get, you know, the interior minister of Italy involved is I think a bit much. Because you know you've got thing you've got cases where now there 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 are actually police doing random searches 
of people. And if you have a German passport, you can't even get, you know, kicked out of the city for it. And that might not even be a German football fan. It might just be someone who just a German person who's randomly in Turin on holiday at the moment the match is happening. Or someone who are German who lives there as an expat. So I think, you know, to get that heavily involved is just overusing the security issue reason. And it's too much. Over, it's too much. It's over the top. You know, if you're that scared of having the away fans bringing more of an atmosphere than your own fans, maybe sort out your own fan base first before you start deporting people. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I think there's also an element of, you know, Frankfurt fans aren't completely innocent in this. No, definitely not. Like, you know, some of them are just there to kick off. And I know, well, you've got a mate who, who tried to go, haven't you? Well, yeah, I've, I've one, of, one of my friends, He he's a Freiburg fan, and he did... Or he he did the whole workaround where he bought a UVA membership, then bought a ticket for um at the time of recording tonight's match, uh Juventus versus Freiburg. Bought the flights and everything. There was no issue. Then I think it was a day or two ago, basically Juve revoked his ticket and only refunded the ticket price of 30 euros. And he's now out 650 euros because of the flights, uh, hotel, and the UVA membership. I don't know. I think if... Uh, by all means, try and figure out, you know, the security risks that are being posed. But fans like him who are just finding a clever workaround, that's excessive. To say the least, it is excessive, but also there's again devil's advocate. I don't want to sound like the bad guy constantly, but there is an element of it's a big European away day. Of course, you you want to be there, but at the end of the day, there's a finite amount of tickets in a genuine away end. You shouldn't, you know, just accept that you can't make it the fact that they're stopping them full stop is is the issue but you can't stop people just going to uh you just can't stop people going to naples you can't stop them going to italy full stop yeah that's the thing and it's like okay well if you if you want to spend that money and go out and watch it in a bar in italy then that's your want and that's your right to to do so but I don't know. Just call me stupid. I would not want to be in the opposite end of a big European game. I'd I'd have hated to be in that in that Barcelona home end at the Camp Nou. Yeah, I mean, in in my opinion, I'd say that it's it's just a case of teams who rarely make it to big, yeah, big European nights their fans are obviously going to go nuts for it which i can 100 percent of you know understand because for teams like maybe bayern or dortmund those fans are used to you know still having a few big nights away um in the champions league or the europa league or whatever 
but teams like Freiburg, who for the first time are, you know, in a Europa League uh, knockout round, or teams like Frankfurt, who have never experienced the Champions League before this season, I think you'll be hard pressed to stop those fans from trying to get and trying to go and support their team, no matter if it's home or away. So I don't know. I think definitely there there is some blame that lies with with the fans because they have you know kicked off and whatnot but i think the reaction of the italian government for instance and the way the italian clubs have handled this is way too much it is excessive but let us know on twitter and on instagram what you think of this should the freiburg and frankfurt fans have been allowed to attend these away matches would you try and attend an away match if your fans have been banned. Let us know. But let's finish with the Bundesliga by talking about one of the closest title races we've had in recent years. But can Dortmund keep up the pace with Bayern Munich? I think it's a way better showing that Dortmund are putting on so far. And they're definitely, you know, we, we talked about it last week. Their mentality is a lot better. Um it it seems to be clicking more but we you know up to this day still have yet to see a team really showcase that mentality or that run in form for longer than what Dortmund have done so far um in the last 10 years at least so i think only time will tell if they can keep up the pace i'd say the main problem that Dortmund have right now is keeping their team fit because we saw Julian Brandt get subbed off after four minutes against Chelsea with a hamstring injury. Um, Marco Reus is also rumored to have yet another injury who was also pretty well in form. Gregor Kobel again, he's already had to be um, or you've had to have uh, Alexander Maia stand in um for him in goal i mean he did a brilliant job against chelsea in my opinion but still you know he's not obviously not first choice um Gregor Kube, again as i said you know injured the injuries are creeping in at dortmund and it'll be interesting to see you know now they've had to deal with that blow you know getting knocked out against chelsea will they be able to keep that run in form because i think bayern have just received an Im- an immense confidence booster by holding PSG in both legs to no goals. And Bayern have definitely been in the situation, you know, where you need to sort out um, even, as we said last week, the scruffy 1-0 wins and make sure you get your points every week. And it'll be interesting to see, I think, if Dortmund managed to keep that up. Well, you talk about Marco Royce. I've got it. Got it here. 87 injuries. So if he's out there now, it'll be 88. He's missed at the moment out of the uh, over 800 matches he's played for Dortmund. He's missed 194. Which, you know, if you if you put that all together, that's a solid few seasons of Bundesliga games, home and away, <laughs> that he's missed. Do you know what's really sad? I properly fell in love with Marco Royce in 2012. Yeah. You know, when he had that ridiculous uh, bleach blonde quiff 
No. <laughs> and it's really sad to see someone I used to idolize, still idolize, essentially fall apart. Well, I mean, I think I think you'd agree with me if 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 I said that Marco Reus may have been this generation's German footballer, maybe even with a chance to contend for awards like Ballon d'Or and FIFA the Best Awards if he had stayed fit and he wasn't plagued by injuries. I think he probably could have been, you know, he would have, if he hadn't been plagued by injuries that much, he would have been a World Cup winner because, you know, 2014, he ripped all the tendons in his ankle in the last test match before the World Cup in Brazil, which was a meaningless 6-0 against, you know, with all due respect, a tiny nation like Armenia. You win 6-0 against Armenia in the last test match, and you kill your whole world cup you must be thinking you know is there a football god no so yeah i think in my opinion Royce is basically the the player who could have been but injuries kept him back he's literally the definition of injury plagued uh well do you want a couple more while i've got them oh uh, just go on we're slept for stats anyway I've, I've got a couple more i'll start with uh abu diaby ex-arsenal oh yeah i was about to say uh, Wasn't it 1,000? Well, 26 injuries. Oh, but they were all heavy. Very heavy. Uh, and out of the 552 matches he played, he missed 328 games. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Iron Robin. Oh, he don't remind me. He spent Iron like season he was like out for half of it. 61 it injuries. So not as bad as Marco Royce. Played 999 matches in his career. Missed 289. Jesus Christ. So nearly 100 more than Marco Royce. Yet he still managed to win pretty much everything. But going back to Dortmund, I think... Obviously, Julian Brandt was in the form of his career. Yeah. Well, hopefully, he said it last he gets week. That, hopefully, he gets that elusive 10th league goal in a season. Jesus. Imagine. Imagine he stays without a league goal now and he, again, again, doesn't manage it. Oh. But again, we won't dwell on it too much because we did talk about it at length last week. So if you do want to listen to that, do go back and listen. But now, let's move over to England and see which manager could potentially get the sack next in the Premier League. So we did we did allude to a couple of them. Uh, Graham Potter being one of them, Antonio Conte being another one. The other two who are highest on the list are Brendan Rogers from Leicester and of course Moise, David Moyes who is right now 16th in the league with West Ham, one point off relegation. Now, Bill, I'm going to read you the odds. And then we can make our own little table of who we think really will get the sack and not just based off of math. But Graham Potter, 12 to 1 odds. He's probably got the best odds of staying in his job. Um, 
funnily enough, Brendan Rodgers, who is 15th in the league with Leicester and only two points off the relegation places, is still got the second best odds to keep his job. Um, Antonio Conte with six to four odds, probably the second most likely to be sacked. And Moyes right now with 11 to 10 odds is the most likely manager to get the sack in the Prem. What would be your lineup? Who do you think will most likely get the sack? Oh, David Moyes. I think because Antonio Conte's contract expires in the summer and Daniel Levy being the tight-fisted gremlin we know him to be, <laughs> won't want to pay him any sort of redundancy fee in one go. I think it'll just be, okay, look, it didn't work out. Goodbye. Because it came out today that several players and staff at Tottenham have been pleading with Maurizio Pochettino to come back. Which again, Oof. we'll cross it if it if we'll cross that bridge if we ever come to it. But I think that is you know, what do they say about never going back to an ex? <laughs> I think David Moyes, there's just such fan discourse. Everyone's unhappy, everyone hates him. And I'll be honest. I thought United would lose against West Ham in the FA Cup after the high of beating Barca and winning a cup final in the same week. Yeah. They won 3-1 and nothing gives me, a honestly, a near sexual pleasure than seeing David Moyes' face absolutely seething stood on the touchline at Old Trafford because he's never won at Old Trafford since he left us. Which I think is uh, probably the greatest statistic you can ever be told about David Moyes uh, in your case, Bill. I, I, talking to West Ham fans, it's the lack of in-game substitutions or the timing of them. Incredibly late. Which West is funny Ham... because, I mean, it's. I think it's funny because, remember, we were praising David Moyes just, what, last season even? I, it was more the players of West Ham, really. It's not much to do with it's just depressing to see the fact that a player like Declan Rice is being wasted at a club like West Ham it's being wasted because it's being priced out of a move I mean much like the Gary Neville's coming to some stick for it saying that he wouldn't pay 100 million for Declan Rice Roy Keane said the same thing I mean to be fair I think I'd I'd agree with them I, <laughs> I don't think he's worth a hundred million. He's no, only no. worth a hundred million because he's English. If he still played for Ireland, he'd be about 60, 50, 60 million tops. If that. It's like, well, it's like the Jack Grealish problem all over again. If he still played for Ireland, he'd be about 30 million and he wouldn't be at Man City. He'd be at Leeds. But, <laughs> you know, West Ham have this somewhat undeserved feeling that their god-given right is to be in the champions league and and to win everything and things like that so when it isn't that they get pissy when they're one point above the relegation place they get very pissy are you are you kidding very pissy would be putting it mildly well you know young people listen to this i didn't want to Didn't want to introduce them to that we, language. We've sworn on, on this podcast, Bill. I don't know why you're trying. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a change of heart. Really? <laughs> no. Should have heard me Sunday. 
Uh, I can only imagine. So that's David Moyes. Uh, Graham Potter has definitely won himself some more time. Oh, with 100%. That, with that with Champions that, League. That was the lifeline for, for Graham Potter. Like, not a chance. Not even... There's no doubt about it. If if they were to sack him now... I mean, they've gone two games, two wins in a row for the first time in ages. <laughs> they've got Leicester say. on Saturday. Could be a fantastic week for Chelsea. You know, they could have three wins in a row. And, I mean, they still wouldn't be above Brentford, but they could pull away from Aston Villa if Aston Villa lose. So, I mean, in all honesty, I think Graham Potter deserves to get more time and at least see out the season. I think it, it's it, like we said it last week, didn't we? The only player or the sorry, the only manager who really should be in that position right now, because as you said, needs to also bring through some young talent and, you know, has in-game management is Graham Potter. And I think there's no other manager who you can get in at this very moment in time who, who brings all the necessary, all the necessary factors to manage a, a club like Chelsea? And obviously, the last one, Brendan Rodgers. Again, it's difficult. Leicester are really struggling. They've not yeah, but they did injuries. lose. They did lose a couple of big name players, and I'd argue Brendan Rodgers has shown that he can also bring Leicester to relatively great heights so i think that will still serve as or it will give him some credit at least where the where the owners are due well i mean that they won the fa cup a couple of years ago that's what i mean so that's got to buy you some potentially to the end of the season but west ham and leicester david moyes and brendan rogers are very lucky that there are worse teams in the premier league yeah you know, Bournemouth. Tuna up against Arsenal and credit where it's due to Arsenal came back and won it. Yeah. But to have such a commanding lead over a team that's not used to being 2 0 down, failing to capitalize on it. Had Scott Parker not already been sacked, <laughs> incidentally, has just been sacked from Club Bruges after win after just 12 matches. Christ. After a 7-1 aggregate defeat to Benfica in the Champions League. I think Gary O'Neill might be in a bit more trouble. Southampton obviously have already sacked Nathan Jones. And Ruben Sellers is just there till the end of the season. Regardless of whether they get relegated or not. Well, I mean, didn't we say at the beginning of the season Scott Parker was already asking or had blatantly said that he didn't get the players in that he wanted to. So it's a miracle that, you know... They've even got a half-decent Premier League squad together. Yeah, and it pissed a lot of people uh, in the boardroom off. So the 9-0 defeat wow. to Liverpool was just the perfect excuse to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Off you go. And Everton. Uh, obviously, sacked Frank Lampard and they brought in Sean Dykes. And Leeds as well have already sacked Jesse March. So the, the four teams below, Leicester and West Ham, have already sacked managers. And uh, let's be honest, it's not really working. No. So that may be in the in the back of the minds of those in power at West Ham and Leicester. Who knows? Obviously, Graham Potter 
brought in to replace Thomas Tuchel this season. Yeah. We'll see. Let us know who you think will be the next manager to get the sack. Will it be Graham Potter? Will it be David Moyes, Antonio Conte, Brendan Rodgers, or someone else, do you think? Let us know on Twitter and Instagram. But now, it's the moment I've been dreading since <laughs> Sunday. It's now time, with the help of a special guest, to talk about Liverpool against Manchester United. That's right, Bill. We do have a special little segment planned for the one of the worst days of your life, probably. Um, we do have a Liverpool fan in the house. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. How you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm very, I'm very happy right I was, now. I was about yeah. to say, why, why am I even asking? Why am I even <laughs> asking? So, Greg, just just take us through the emotional roller coaster that has been this season. And, I mean, obviously, it just kind of culminated in a big or probably one of the biggest turnarounds ever in that 7-0 beatdown. Yeah, I mean, the season started pretty well. I mean, we beat Bournemouth 9-0, which is something people forget that happened this season because it happened so far away. Um, and then it just went downhill from there. <laughs> and we ended up in, like, almost going to the bottom side of the table. So I don't really know what happened. Um, people just decided they didn't want to play anymore, apparently, for being um mainly. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's interesting that you say Fabinho decided he didn't want to play anymore because I'd argue one of the biggest reasons, and Bill, back me up or uh, refute me on this, <laughs> Fabinho won the midfield battle with Casemiro, and because Casemiro has been that elemental piece in United's midfield, that basically was Fantastic. one of the key yeah. battles that kind of led to the whole downfall. I don't know. Bill, give us your take, and then Greg, I'd love to hear, hear what you what you'd say to that. Well, literally from minute one, Casemiro didn't look at it at all. Like someone who's normally so assured is normally we struggle without him. And he just looked, well, shattered. He has been carrying the team on his back for a few months now, to be fair to him. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing, right? Because, you know, I think a lot of people will have talked about the fact that yeah you had um i think bill you said it just earlier in this episode you know you had barca massive win then efl cup the first trophy under ten hag first arguably major trophy in in a little bit for united do you think it was just more of yeah okay we've got tired legs and it just came at the worst possible time or was it something more? I don't think it was necessarily tired legs because players play a game every three days fairly regularly now. I think it was more tired minds, like almost riding the crest of a wave. It's got to come down at, at some point. And Mikel Arteta used the word in the all or nothing uh, Spanish cycling term, uh, Paca, which is... It's going really well. It's going really well. And then within the space of a kilometer, it all falls apart. You can't understand why. And he, he's experienced that Anfield. He couldn't focus. He couldn't move. It was just red shirts piling forward. Uh, yeah. Look, we lost 4-0 to Brentford. There was a reaction. 
we lost 6-3 to Man City. And that was the last game that United lost until after the World Cup. So he's going to get a reaction. He has to get a reaction at the time of recording tonight against Real Betters and on Sunday against Southampton. But I don't want to sound incredibly bitter because as good as Liverpool were, and they just completely fantastic, they beat every second ball, the pressing was fantastic. United just completely fell apart. And I, I said to Greg at the time, uh, four of those goals at least were absolute gifts. Yeah, well, I would I would almost say, you know, so often if you just watch the replays or the, the highlights, you know, Sky Germany are only allowed to do three minutes. So they basically had to do that to condense the whole thing and basically just showed the reels of each goal. They weren't even there wasn't even time for highlights. And it felt like you were just watching one counterattack goal, one counterattack goal number two, one counterattack goal number three. Greg, how would you characterize the pressing and would you say it's just basically been a whole thing of that every single notch kind of was just perfectly just perfectly clicked during that match for Liverpool was it just the perfect storm absolutely yeah I mean it was just one of those games where just everything we did went well like every shot we took we looked like scoring every counter-attack we looked like going through and like I think the whole game was summed up by the first goal in the second half where it just went off Casemiro, it went off Fernandez. Like they could not keep the ball at all. And I was just like, this defending is fucking woeful. And yeah, I think just like our counterattacks were lethal, yes, but their defending and their heads just collapsed. And it was, yeah, it was way too easy for us, especially at Anfield. I mean, yeah, obviously the the atmosphere then also gets you, but you also see a resurgence because I wouldn't count uh, Mo Salah to, towards the players that, you know, weren't on it for the worst parts of Liverpool's season. But players like uh, Doran Yunus, like Gakpo, have they finally now, you know, arrived at Liverpool, so to speak? I hope so. I really hope so. Um Nunes has been knocking on the door for a while. His finishing has been not there, as as all the memes on, on Twitter and stuff have shown. But um, yeah, Gakpo's only just started, so you can't really judge what he's about to do. Um, but he's shown a lot of what he did at the World Cup in that game. Um, I hope Nunes has scored the goals that he like always looked like scoring. Um, <clears throat> some of those goals were just difficult to score. Like he scored really difficult. Like that, that header that he scored um, where he was facing the other way from the goal, one of the one difficult goal. And he just didn't like, he wasn't scoring easy goals back then. So it was very bizarre, but yeah, I mean, what I will say is one game won't characterize this like a season. So man, this is like blip from Man United. They'll come back. Obviously this doesn't define our season. We're not, we're not back to our fully best, but it's just, it's one of those games, isn't it? Well, I mean, that kind of tees up a question of mine perfectly. And it is, do you believe that you will get top four or at least European places this season? Uh, I think we'll get a European place. Whether that's top four or not, I'm not 100% certain on. It's how well Spurs do come towards the end of the season. I don't know the fixtures at the moment. I haven't looked at them, but I think I read that we've got quite a difficult fixture just going ahead. We've still got City and Arsenal to play, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. 
And Spurs but, themselves um, as well. Yeah, and Spurs, that a big game. Newcastle are dropping off a little bit. They should come back a bit. It, we, results went our way that weekend, so, you know, the wind helped. So, yeah, I mean, I don't look, Chelsea don't look like coming back, even though they won last, last night. Um, but yeah, I think we'll get Europe, but which Europe place that'll be, I don't know. I mean, fair enough. Um, Bill, just one thing that I noticed a little bit, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a couple of players at United during that game seem to be played out of position. I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. And (laughs) it's this weird role that Valverkos plays. Yeah. Where he almost seems to play as a number 10. And sometimes it works. It worked against Barcelona in the first leg. Didn't work at Anfield at all. I think because obviously he doesn't have the striker he wants, hasn't got the genuine number nine, Rashford ends up going there because he's the informed player. Yeah. Which then pushes Bruno Fernandes out wide. And you know, just a couple of things. I I'm not having any of the slagging off of Bruno Fernandes. People saying he's not fit to be a captain. If anything, he's the perfect person you want for a captain. He's vocal. Uh, I love Gary Neville, but he said on Sunday, oh, you know, Fernandez was throwing his arms up in the air saying, oh, why aren't I coming off? Um, it, he he didn't do that at all. Um, there's, well, obviously it was filmed. So there's video evidence of him not doing that. He was frustrated with other players. He wasn't even facing the bench. I think, obviously, Verkhorst probably won't be there come the summer. And I do just want to make this point, and I want to know what you two think about it as well, is that faceless accounts, Ronaldo fanboys on Twitter and things like that, using it as an excuse to essentially slag off Ten Hag when getting rid of Ronaldo was arguably the spark for the turn in form for this season. You know, Managers say things that you think, okay, that's going to come back to bite you. Ten Hag said, oh, I, I don't have any regrets over that Ronaldo thing. I sleep perfectly fine the day before we lost to Anfield. Piers Morgan then picks up and goes, oh, I wonder how we sleep tonight. <laughs> and it's just, okay, fine. But he's won a trophy. We beat Barcelona in the same week. It was embarrassing. It was shambolic. But like Greg said, as ever, magnanimous in victory. Not like some Liverpool fans. It's a blip, hopefully. Well, I mean, Greg, I think you can definitely feel a little bit for for Bill there because I think a lot of people have been giving Jurgen Klopp stick this season. Yeah. What what would you say to that? I would rather sell pretty much like most of the team before we got rid of Klopp. Um, He's done that much for our club. I'd rather we change owners before Klopp leaves. I think... I have all the faith in the world in him. Maybe call me, you know, stupid for that, but he's done so much for this club and with the team. And I know we, we spent a lot of money, but less than United City, Chelsea. I just think he's done a fantastic job and I would never, I would speak ill of him, of course. Like, you know, some of the choices he's made in the past have, I've, you know, thought, why are you subbing him off there, doing that sort of thing? But it's, you know, I'm hoping he's never really sort of, 
rebuilt a team. He's like obviously built the team like in Dortmund and Mines and stuff like that, but he's never like transitioned. And you know, he's it's new to him. So I guess we got to have faith in him. I mean, I think that's the best way to put it. And Billy, to what you said as well, I think anyone who's slagging off Ten Hag or whatever, it just goes back to the thing that, or to that point that we all heard at uni was in the UK or in the Premier League, there is just not enough respect for the process. And I think Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool is a prime example because when you think about where Liverpool were, uh, when Klopp took over to what he's done now, think back where United were when Ten Hag took over, um, especially the turnarounds that Ten Hag has now made. I don't think any or very few United fans were were seriously thinking about silverware in February 2023. Um, it, it For me, it's really, really a case of, I don't know, some people really just are too reactionary with it. And I think the Ronaldo fanboys are just, they're just, I mean, as much as this is a 2014 phrase, but they're just butthurt about the whole situation and the fact that Ronaldo never, ne or didn't really work out or that his comeback didn't go to the heights that, that everyone would have wished it to be. And I think every United fan would say that they wished Ronaldo had, know brought home some kind of silverware at some point but yeah i mean when you when you look at the i i'd agree with both of you that you know it's just the blip in form and i don't know greg would you say now liverpool you said the fixtures are hard uh and all that but would you still characterize it as probably one of the one of the defining moments of this season yeah yeah, I mean to beat to beat your greatest rivals by that much is ridiculous, and hopefully that spurs us on to, you know, win as many games as possible for the rest of the season. I mean, I doubt we'll beat Madrid, but we'll see. Um, I think, yeah, hopefully this is the catalyst for the end of our season, um, and it will be the thing that people talk about for years, years to come. So, I mean, we'll see. I don't don't really know how what's going to happen but because i've never like been able to guess what's going to happen this season apart from us losing sometimes so um oh, i think we were going to lose the game i did think i came into it saying i said to bill i said we're going to lose this because like our form's just been dreadful but it is a unformed game so you never know i think it's very succinctly put uh billy before i end the most miserable miserable part of this uh of this episode your final thoughts on the whole thing, the fiasco, anything you'd like to add? I mean, it hurts seeing Firmino score because I cannot stand him. <laughs> Regardless of whether Those white veneers really, really do your head in, don't they? Uh, it's not the veneers. It's just him in general. <laughs> I'm just not a fan. But some of the goals were... Uh, Cody Gakpo's first goal, the first goal, yeah. Yeah. was just fantastic. And sometimes you do have to just fair enough. And the, and the second, that chip. Yeah, exactly. Well it, was, it was just everything United did wrong, they did well. And now it's a perfect example, a game four days later to show how Ten Hag can get a reaction out. But again, we'll have to get Greg on at the end of the season so we can 
see if Liverpool do manage to get a European place, maybe even a Champions League spot. Too true, too true. Well, I think on that note, thank you, Greg, so much for coming on and giving a few Liverpool insights or Liverpudlian insights, I think uh, is the is the correct way to say it. Correct me if thank I'm you wrong, very please much. do. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, we'll definitely be having Greg on at the end of the season, see how much of a roller coaster ride he still gets put through. Bill, the end has finally come. You are free, my man. But on that note, Thank you so much for listening, guys. We will obviously still be posting daily updates on all things Premier League and Bundesliga on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So make sure to check out the AT Sports News handle on social media and also have a look, as Billy did say in the episode, uh, at our in-depth look at Borussia Dortmund and see how many factors they still might have to keep the title race alive. But all that and more, you know, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure to check those out. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.